you know what? Hunting those impulsive water holes is a little bit foolish because they never come down to the water hole casually. Those things are wound so tight that if you're more than 20 feet away and you release that arrow, they will hear that arrow snap. And they are so wound tight that before that, that arrow gets to them, they're either three feet in the air, five, six feet in the air, or they're flat against the ground. And I have seen these things, when I thought they were unaware, completely dodge an arrow. Um, and it is absolutely incredible. I remember bear hunting with my dad. Same sort of story. There was, uh, there was something that came to the site, and it wasn't a bear. It was a smaller critter, and he was like, ooh, I'm going to shoot that with my bow. And this thing's just wandering around, eating donuts or whatever is laying on the ground there. And, uh, and he pulls this bow back, and he releases. And no joke, I remember so clearly that arrow hits the tree and stuck in the tree, and that, that critter is standing over top of it. That thing that its belly was like, it's literally arched. And somehow, this thing that wasn't looking at Dad, that thing managed to dodge an arrow. And I thought to myself, how can he dodge that arrow? It's because when that little critter, when that little critter shows up, when that impala shows to the water, when that little critter shows up somewhere, it is always ready to be devoured. It is always ready to be on alert. And I think as Christians, the reminder is that we are always at battle. And so often when we forget that the devil's waging a war, that's usually when we fail. It's usually when we get carried away and we get distracted. It is a primary, the battle we are in is primarily a battle for your heart and your mind. Many of the mental and emotional struggles that we deal with can be traced back to buying into one of these lies. And uh, if you're visiting, I'm going to say the same thing I always say is, I'm not saying that mental illness isn't real. I'm not saying you shouldn't go see somebody if things just aren't working the way they ought to. I think you should. But I also believe that we sell ourselves short if we don't first make sure that we've cleared everything up in our spiritual battle. And, and so we need to make sure that we go into spiritual battle, that we don't buy into the lies of the enemy. You see, Satan is described as the father of lies, as the deceiver. You need to commit yourself to God's truth and believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. I've met so many people as well in life who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, I believe in God, but when you talk to them, they only believe that Jesus is half the way, half the truth, and half the life. They, they believe that they can have five different ways to get the answer, and then they wonder why God's not answering their prayers. It's because they haven't given God their life. They've given God a portion of who they are. They've given God lip service. And that's not the way it works. You need to believe that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. I, I'm, reminded of, I'm reminded of marriage on this one. I can't tell my wife I want all, I, I, I want all that marriage has to offer if I'm also wanting to be married to three other people at the same time. If I have four people that I'm calling them all my wife, I've got four, and my wife knew about that. I'll tell you what, all, my, all, my, all, all the things that I would hope for in a marriage would not be there. I would not have a peaceful life, would I? And yet we do that to God all the time. We marry the world all the time. We marry other philosophies, other, other ideas. We follow whatever society is telling us is good and not good. We use society's definition of love instead of God's definition of love. And then we corrupt the Word of God because we don't believe it is true. We believe it's our opinion. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
You need to commit yourself to truth. It needs to be the whole truth, not just part of the truth. We need to live our lives righteously based on the truth. That's the other thing. We, we, we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. We say, I'm going to live righteously, but then we don't live righteously. We compromise. Just like I, I'm compromising, I'm not wearing all my fire gear. If I go into battle, if I go fight a fire with half my fire gear, I'm going to get burnt. Yeah, but wearing the whole fire gear is pretty uncomfortable. Being a Christian is pretty uncomfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I want comfort. I want, I want to look like a firefighter without doing all the work of a firefighter. I want to look like the firefighter, but I don't want to have all the burdens of the firefighter. And it's like that in Christianity as well so often. And finally, as I already mentioned, we are always in a battle, therefore we must always be ready for battle. And the reason that we can be confident going into battle is because we've based that readiness on the fact that Jesus has already paid the price. We have the gospel of peace, not the gospel of war. We get ready for war because God has already ensured peace. We get ready for war because we have the gospel that, that, that says Jesus already took away our sins, that Jesus paid the price, that Jesus gave us the, sent the Holy Spirit to us, that the battle will be won as soon as we enter into it. And are you living that gospel of peace? The gospel of peace is knowing the good news that Jesus has paid the price and that we live in victory. But the shield of faith. You see, it's amazing how the, how the piece of armor go together. The shield of faith is not just knowing that Jesus paid the price, not just knowing that Jesus went in front of you, but picking up that shield and going into battle. It doesn't help for you to know that Jesus paid the price if you're just going to hide behind this thing. You need to take this thing of faith and you need to go into battle. The Bible says that faith, the shield of faith, that faith without works is dead. Faith without warfare. The shield without warfare, you might as well just put it down and use it as a table. The shield without warfare is no good. You need to go into battle to get the full use of this thing that we call the shield of faith. And so my challenge for you this morning, and that's what we're going to talk about is that the gospel of peace is, 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 is up here. But the shield, the shield means that you're going into battle. The shield of faith is putting that peace into action. It is commitment to live out what Jesus has called us to do with courage. If we want to have victory in any battle, we need to overcome our fear. Those who crumble to fear are cowards. But those who overcome fear and move with action... Those are courageous. You see, fear comes to everybody. The one who caves is a coward, but the one who overcomes, he's courageous. He's the warrior and he's the hero because he's looked his fear in the eye and he said, I got this because Jesus already paid the price. Jesus already had the victory. I am not afraid. You know what's interesting? I was reading through some scripture this week and, and we often don't realize that cowardice is talked a lot about in the Bible. Actually, the Bible has some pretty strong words for the person who doesn't take up their shield. The person who's afraid of everything. The person who's not ready for battle and doesn't go into battle. I'm going to read a passage that you probably weren't expecting this morning. We're going to go to Revelation this morning. Revelation 21, 7 and 8. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children this is the first thing he says. He says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, 
the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. You ever notice how we pick on the unfaithful? How we pick on the dishonest? How we pick on murderers? I mean, not pick on them, but I mean, I guess they have that coming, I guess. But the point being is we pick on all of these things. But how often do we pick on the things that God mentions first? The cowards, those who are not willing to battle the things that are coming at them in their lives. Those who are not willing to take a stand and say, I am going to battle my addiction today. I am going to battle the things that are attacking me today. How many people just let those things slide? We look at everybody else. The Bible talks about, you know, we look at all the, all the, all the splinter in their eye without the, without the big old log in our own. And how often am I a coward? Do I fail to fight the devil? Do I allow myself to believe all that the devil is telling me? You see, the coward sees the enemy. The coward sees fear and says, oh my word, I need to protect myself. I need to protect myself. And obviously that's what we think the shield is for. Oh my word, the enemy is coming. Quick, let's all hide. Okay, that's, that's not a warrior. Yeah, they might both have the shield, but that's not a warrior. A warrior doesn't go like this. No, the coward, let me find my note. The coward sees fear and says, I must protect myself. The courageous sees fear and says, because of, because of Jesus, I'm already protected. You see, for the, for the courageous, for the, for the one who's going to have victory in their lives, they don't go, oh my word, I have a problem. They have, let's go, I got a problem. They say, they say, because I got this, here I come. You know, it's one of the things that people misunderstand about the shield. You see, people, people see the shield so often as hiding behind the shield. But as you learn about the shield, the shield was not just for defense. It was also for offense. They put those shields together, and they came as a wall, and they began to push. You see, they had those shoots. Remember, we talked about the, the feet of readiness. They dug those feet in, and they began to push. One, two, three stab. And they use this to drive the enemy back. Enemy would throw those arrows and they'd, they, they'd be there and they would push. They would push and they would push and they had that shield of faith and it wasn't just to hide behind like cowards. It was to be victorious, to go into battle with. And I'm going to read a story that I know people say, Rick, don't repeat yourself, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to read a story because it's one of my favorites. We talked about it a little bit last week. About when I read through my Bible, well, I listened to my Bible as a kid, and, and tape number 13 and tape number 14, you know the old magnetic strip on there, that thing was gone. It was totally destroyed, and uh, one of the, it was all about First and Second Samuel. And in First Samuel 13, verse 16 to First Samuel 14, 23, and I printed that out, so we're going to read it. I've referenced it before, but we're going to read it now. And I want to show you the difference between the man who's a coward and the man who is courageous. Saul and Jonathan and the men with them were staying in Gibeah and Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. For those who don't know, and it's going to explain it a bit, but basically the Philistines were ruling over God's people. They were destroying God's people. They were stealing from God's people. They were murdering God's people. And so here's what happens, right? Saul and his son Jonathan and the men with him were staying in Gibeah in Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. One turned to Ophrah in the vicinity of Shual, another towards Beth Horon, 
and the third towards the borderland over, overlooking the valley of Zebulun, facing the wilderness. So guys, just so everybody gets this, the Philistines, they're sending out raiding parties. They're sending out their warriors to go and invade God's people. They're going in three different directions. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So a blacksmith is a guy who works with metal. He makes swords and spears, kids. So Okay, so they're like, God's people, they don't get to have anybody who's going to make weapons because otherwise they're going to attack us. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plow points and mattocks and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goads. So on the, on, the, on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Now a detachment of the Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod, brother of Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. And we're going to stop here for one second. Here's the guy who's... who's who, so they're basically saying with Saul was a spiritual leader. That, just, that's important to know. Why would they tell you this? This guy with the ephod, with the cloak that he was wearing. Because he's the one who's, who's advising. He's the one who's, who's supposed to be blessing and giving this spiritual insight and, and, and wisdom to these guys. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other, Sene. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan, Jonathan said, Come on then. We will cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Okay, so just, I'm going to, for the kids, I'm going to tell, so remember, one sword and the armor bearer was like carrying like, I guess, Jonathan's armor and maybe... We heard pitchforks and axes. So nobody's got weapons. The enemy are up on top of a cliff, and they've all got weapons. And so Jonathan goes down. He's like, hello? Anybody up there? Look at me. I'm the king's son. You know, he, you know, he kind of lets them know that he's, I don't know if that's how he said it, but he lets them know that he's there. Just the two of them against an army. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of their holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us. We'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord, has given, the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. 
Then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties. And the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah and Benjamin saw the army melting in all directions. Then Saul, remember, just sitting under a tree, eating fruit, said to the men who were with him, Muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God. While Saul was talking to the priest, the, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with swords. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. What an awesome story. I don't even need to preach when you hear that story. Here's, here's these two guys who are like, we believe in God. We've got faith. we got our shield of faith. Might not be a real shield, but we got the shield of faith. We know that the Lord will go before us, so we're going to go pick a fight. Because we know that God is on our side. So what do they do? They go pick a fight. These guys, these enemies, these Philistines, they represent, they represent all that is against God. They're like, no, 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 no. That ain't going to fly. Let's go pick a fight. And if they want to fight, that means God's on our side. <laughs> and so they go down there and they pick a fight. When the other guys are like, yeah, you want to fight? Bring it on. We got all the weapons. They're like, all right. That must be that. It's time for a fight. I can just imagine John is at the bottom of this cliff going, okay, okay. These guys are all resting on top of the cliff, right? They're all the enemy are resting. They're like, come on, come and get us. Now these guys got to climb a cliff. Hand and feet. They can't just, not, not, not a hill, a cliff. Hand and feet. They got to climb this thing. Enemy could have thrown rocks down at them at any time. They could have just been like, doop, done. No, no, no. The enemy, enemy, just like the devil, he thinks, yeah, I got you. Because he's a little bit foolish. I got you. I got you right where I want you. I've sold you a lie. And you believed it. And he, they come up there, but they don't realize what the devil doesn't realize, what the Philistines didn't realize is you might have been selling something, but God had something else to offer. And they get to the top and 20 men in half an acre. Let's do this. Imagine. Imagine that th this was the enemy, and I came in, and you guys all had swords, you know, and, and, and one guy comes in. You'd think everybody else would overwhelm him, but with God on their side, they, they did something pretty amazing. You see, Jonathan knew God already had the solution. Here's, here's Saul, he's sitting under the pomegranate tree, he's, he's going, I got a problem. My soldiers, they don't have, they don't have weapons, My, I, I got a problem. But Jonathan knew the solution. Jonathan knew and he lived Deuteronomy 31.8. This is when they, you know, they've been told that there's a promise for them. They've got to go to the promise. And the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. See, Jonathan, who was not a priest, Jonathan knew what God had told him. And he didn't just know it. He lived it. But Saul and even the priest, they knew what God had said. They had been raised as boys to know the scripture, to know what God had said, to know how God had led his people. They knew it, but they didn't live it. And here they are, the priest, the king who's supposed to be anointed by God to lead the people and 600 men and all they're doing is wondering how in the world this is going to work. 
until two men said, hey, let's pick a fight. Because God, God is our shield, and he's got this. The Lord himself will go before us. Are you, are you willing to attack all the problems in your life? There is no problem in your life right now that, that, that God cannot solve and that God does not already have a solution for. God doesn't have to think of a solution. God already has a solution. So why don't we stop thinking of all the solutions on our own and why don't we take our problems to Jesus in prayer and then when God gives us the answer, we, we, we respond and we respond with faith. We go into battle. We say, Satan, you want to fight? I've been waiting for this day. Let's have a fight. So what are, we're going to jump forward for, for a second here. What, what are the things that this shield protects us from? And the Bible says that, that, that you take up the shield of faith to protect you from the fiery arrows of the evil one. And so often we're wondering, what are the fiery arrows of the evil one? And, and I'm going to say the same thing today that I've said for the last month in this series. Satan is described as the deceiver and the father of lies. Almost every single time in Scripture where Satan enters into a battle, he enters into it with trickery, with deception, and with lies. And so what does this thing do? This thing protects us from the lies of the enemy that we say, look, I believe there is one way, one truth. I believe that Jesus gave us the word, and I'm going to live my life based on what I know God says, no matter what you say, no matter what the devil says, no matter what anybody who's against you has to say. Faith overcomes the lies. I'm going to give you some examples this morning. Satan told Moses that he was not able to speak. And yet God said, you will lead my people to freedom. Satan told the Israelites that Goliath was too big. And when David came forward, Satan told Saul that David was too small. The giant was too big, the hero was too small, and yet David, when given the armor, said, I don't need this junk. I don't need this junk because where I go, I do not go alone. I do not need to protect myself because I have the shield in front of me. And the shield is Jesus Christ. And every step I take, God promises that shield moves in front of me. And if I go five steps forward, that shield is going five steps forward. I don't got to worry about anything because I have the shield. And Satan goes there. And uh, Satan comes before you with those lies. And I love it. And I, I don't want to read the whole Bible for you this morning. Uh, we don't have time for that. So I'm just going to allude to that story. Read it on your own. The thing that really ticked David off wasn't the giant in front of him. It was the mockery of God before him. You see, when you see that he went to battle, he went to battle because he said, Whoa, you're, you're saying God's not big enough. You're saying, my God's not strong enough. Why do you think God chose a little guy like David to go into battle? To make the point that there ain't no giant in your life that's bigger than the God. Yeah, you might be small. Your answers might be small. Your strengths might be small. Your abilities might be small. But your God is big. And there ain't nothing that the devil can do to destroy you when you put your faith in who God is. Satan told Elisha's servant, we've talked about this before, that they were defeated and surrounded. You see, Elisha was telling the, was telling the king where the enemy would attack. And, and so the opposing king surrounded the city with all of his soldiers. And the servant gets up and says, oh my word, we're all going to die. What do we do? We're all going to die. The problem is far too big. And I just picture Elisha smiling and says, hey God, 
This guy needs eyes of faith. He's got eyes of doubt. He's got eyes of fear. But when we see something from a different perspective, the perspective of God, the Bible says God opened the eyes of the servant and he saw surrounding the city an army of angels and chariots of fire. Yeah, you might have a problem and you might not see the solution, but faith gives you eyes to see that there are angels watching over you. And every time you go into a problem, every time you go into a difficulty, you remind yourself, say, God, open my eyes of faith today that I can overcome this problem. Because we don't have children's church, I'm going to invite a couple kids who have asked. I've got, I'm going to pick on my kids again. And Braden, Braden, you want to come forward today? I need, I need help. Ryan, Tendai. So we're talking about firefighters. So, so, so yeah, you can stand down here, guys, because I don't want to get the sound equipment wet. So in battle, you might have a, have a shield, but, but when we fight fires, do you know what gives us the courage to go into the fire? We have the courage to enter into the fire. Not me, the other fire, because they have, well, this is just a, a mini. They've got a great big hose of never-ending water, it feels like. They hook that thing to the hydrant, and they go into battle, and there ain't no flaming, there ain't no fire that's going to burn them when they've got that shield of water in front of them. So here's what we're going to do. We're gonna, we're, you guys stand over there. Don't, you don't need the towel on. You're going to need that afterwards. All right. You see, what the, what the devil does to us is he says, he says, you're not smart enough to do this. There you go. You're stupid. Maybe you've got an addiction this morning. You've got a problem this morning. Or you've got a bad temper this morning. The Bible says, that Satan tells you, he says, you're not, you're not strong enough. You're like David. You're a little baby. You're not strong enough. We're going to do a couple of these just because it's more fun that way. You're not strong enough that you're not going to be able to solve this problem. But when we put our faith, you want to grab this? Here's what we do. Put it in here. When we've got faith in Jesus, we say, wait a minute. I'm not going to listen to your argument. What are we going to do? Let's get a little bit closer. You take the stupid. Are you stupid? No, you're not. You're not stupid. Am I weak? No, I'm not weak. I'm not weak. That's not who I am. The Bible says that. The Bible says that I'm strong. The Bible says that I am strong. I'm not weak. Oh! And here's the deal. You try and figure out the, de the devil's lies, they just crumble. They just disintegrate. When we put our faith in Jesus, oh no, you guys aren't done. You were goofing around last time I asked for help, so you're going to do this again. Maybe you're going through a problem in your life with your family, with your, with your, with your husband, with your wife, with your kids. Maybe you're going through a problem at work and the devil says, you're a failure. There ain't no coming back from this. You're a failure. You're a loser. But what does the Bible say? When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we put a faith in the Word of God, the Bible says that we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. We're sons and I'm a, I'm a son and daughter of the, I'm a son of the King. I'm a son of the King. You don't lie to me. I'm not a failure. I'm not a loser. Jesus says that I'm awesome. He says, I'm wonderful. He says that nobody can beat me. All right, then you can go sit down. I'm going to keep this for the sleeping people in the crowd. There we go. Really quickly, without goofing around, wipe that water so people don't trip. Thank you, guys. Yeah, let's give them a hand. What an awesome group of helpers I got here. But what happens in our lives is far too often. The devil says, hey, you messed up. Oh my word, I've messed up, I've messed up. I can't have victory anymore. I'm a failure. 
How's God going to help me? I can't do this. Maybe you've lost hope, and, and you begin to hide. You begin to hide. You don't go into battle. I'm too rough with this thing. You don't go into battle. You, you cower. But the Bible says that you are a son or a daughter of the king of kings. That where God goes, you will always have victory. But you don't have victory hiding. You have victory when you pick this thing up. That's good enough, guys. You can sit down. That's fine. I'll do the rest later. And by me, I mean you'll do the rest later. Yeah. And when we go into battle, we go in. We charge. We charge. We keep our faith up. We keep that in front of us. But we don't hide. We're not hiding. We're running. We're going into battle. We're smashing the devil with this thing. We're saying, no. No, God is protecting me. There is nothing you can do. You know, I went to uh, that kid who who says, Daddy, there's there's ghosts under my bed. I say, okay. Maybe there are, maybe there aren't. Who am I to say there's ghosts under your bed? Because you can't convince a kid there's no ghosts under their bed if you've tried. I said, okay, ghosts under your bed. Here's what you do. You say, I don't care. Because Jesus is more powerful than the ghost. Oh, Daddy, there's something knocking in my closet. Guess what? It's okay. Don't worry about it. He's stuck in there. Because Jesus goes before me. When I'm having a hard time during my week and I say, I can't get over this problem. I go, maybe it's not my problem to solve. I got enough faith. It's not my problem to solve. I'm just going to go into battle. I'll let God solve the problem. I'll give it to Jesus. So my question for you this morning is what is Satan telling you? I'm going to wrap it up here quick. I got, got excited this morning as I usually do. What is, what is Satan telling you this morning? Because I believe that Satan's telling each and every one of you a lie somewhere in your life. And maybe he's telling you that your marriage is over. It's a lie from the devil. Because God promises victory when we turn to Jesus. Maybe, maybe God's telling you that your addiction is, is too much for you to handle. I want to tell you something. That's a lie from the devil. Because the Bible says that Jesus already paid the price. For goodness sakes, Jesus went to the cross. He died and he defeated death. I'm pretty sure a little bit of addiction is not too much for him to handle. If he can resurrect a dead body, he resurrected Lazarus and he rose from the dead. He can get you over your addiction. How about the one that says, my loved one is never going to turn to Jesus? How many people, and we said this last week, so I'm not going to make, make you raise your hands again. How many people, though, in your mind, just, I, I can't imagine how many people have somebody in their life, they want to find Jesus, but you stopped going into battle. You gave up on that battle. You gave up on sharing your faith. You gave up on praying with them and praying for them. You gave up on sitting down with somebody and saying, hey, what I'm doing isn't working. Can you pray for me that maybe God gives me a different solution? Because sometimes we try and see the world saved with our solutions. I bet you most of us, when we think about the people we've been trying to see saved for years, we've been doing it on our own, actually, most of the time. How many of us have been doing it on our own most of the time? And saying, God, I've been praying all this time. You've been praying, but have you been listening? Have you been bringing those people to Jesus with other people? And saying, what I'm doing is not working. I'll give you an example. Sometimes people are always, they sit down with the phone. You need to come to church. You need to come to church. You need to come to church. It's not working because it's not going to work. They've got, their, they've got a wall to the church. The church has hurt them or the church has damaged them. And they've got a wall. They don't want to come to church. You can yell that for the next 40 years. It ain't going to happen. But if you listen, maybe somebody says, what if you just ask them how you can pray for them this week? Because I can talk to a guy who doesn't even know Jesus, who doesn't believe in Jesus, but I, I ask him, how can I pray for you this week? He'll almost always tell me what I can pray for. Oh, okay, good. I, I got friends who are atheists, and when something goes wrong, 
they say, you know, send me your, your good thoughts and your prayers. Okay, well, you don't even believe in prayers, but you still say. So when you go to, and when you go to your friends and your family members and say, what I'm doing isn't working, please give me other ideas. And God will speak to people. Are you giving Jesus everything? The devil's telling you to do it all by yourself. He's tricking you that, it's, that, that you should be ashamed of bringing your problems to your neighbor. But that is a lie from the enemy. You are not good enough to change a life. You're not good enough to change a job. You're not good enough to change a situation. And you're not good enough to change a relationship. Those are all lies of the devil. Like I already said, Moses thought he wasn't good enough. And yet Moses set God's people free. And if you need freedom this morning, bring it to Jesus. Take up the shield of faith. Faith involves action. Faith without action is not faith. If you want to grow your faith, read stories about how God has been faithful. Surrender yourself. Surround yourself with warriors of the faith. I already talked about that. You got a problem with something in your life? Stop trying to do it on your own. You see, Jonathan's armor bearer would have never went to battle if Jonathan hadn't said, hey, let's go. And the armor bearer said, where you go, I'll go with you. Surround yourself with people who are ready for battle instead of surrounding your people who are sitting under the pomegranate tree. Pursue people who want to pick a fight with the devil, not with you or other people. Pray for wisdom and guidance. Pick a fight. If you've got an addiction, you've got a pain, you've got a problem in your marriage, you've got a problem with your family, you've got a problem at work, stop just saying, God, please take away the problem. God says, I will take away the problem when you go into battle. It's like the Israelites saying, God, take away Goliath. God's like, I got a solution. Somebody pick up a rock and throw it in that general direction. It'll hit the guy in the floor. This is an easy solution. Pick up a rock. I don't care how big he is. I don't care how big his spear is. My solution is pick up a rock. Don't think you're going to solve the problem. God will solve the problem. Pick up a rock. Start the fight. I got an addiction, I got a problem, I'm going to deal with it. And then let God go into battle with you and for you. So we're going to, we're going to set, bring the worship team up here this morning. I want to challenge you in one last thing. I want to challenge you that that shield of faith is simply recognizing one simple truth. That you are a son of the King of Kings. You are a daughter of the King of Kings. He has won the battle. He simply wants you to walk through the battleground. He has won the battle. He just wants you to walk through the battleground. Pick up that shield of faith and go. You are a son of the King of Kings. And we're going to end with an inspirational little video if it plays this morning. And when that's done, the worship team's going to lead us. If you've got a problem, if you've got a battle that you need to pick a fight in your life, if you need for, to forgive somebody, you need to, healing, you need freedom in your, in, from addictions, we've got a group of people going to pray for you. They give you the courage to go into battle this week. And uh, we're going to turn it over to them right now as soon as we watch that short, short video. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? 
He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. Yes, couldn't handle him, and the grave 